This is out of bounds. This is Out of Bounds. It is your one-stop shop for the weird, wacky, and wild in the sports world. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. We are coming your way here on yet another Monday happy hour. How's it going, Mia? Oh, it's good. I realized on my drive home from the office. Uh, yes, the studio office is still a work in progress. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a good story from the T-Man. Uh, for those who may not be familiar, that is uh, our cat. Um, so I was in New Orleans this weekend with the Jags, made it an extended stay, had a wonderful trip. Um, I'm sure you've seen this, John. Um, I've had for a couple of years now a cork board where I put, I know it's old school, printed tickets from baseball games and I pin them up there. And uh, yeah, well, I left it in the office because usually it hangs beside my work desk and uh, someone discovered it. Because that's the one room oh, no. he's allowed in. And uh, yeah, it's a cork board, apparently, or it's, um, it's a scratching post now, evidently. Um, oh. But thankfully, the desk itself that has not been assembled yet, a lot of travel, uh, it is a okay. So, desk is good, can always go to Hobby Lobby and uh, get another $2 cork board. So, all is well. But yes, the studio will eventually be created. Uh, ditto to my kitchen table at some point. Hmm. Well, I hope that you can get that aesthetic up and rolling at some point. Looking forward to that. You like New Orleans, your first time there? Second time, actually. Second so time. hadn't been there since January of 2015 uh, right. when it was a lovely 28 degrees. As part of my college mm. scholarship program, we were building houses in the Lower Ninth Ward. I uh, still got to certainly enjoy Bourbon Street and beyond as a 22-year-old. So um, needless to say, this trip was a little less, uh, yeah, um, as I told our, our well, good Was this buddy, your first time at the Superdome? This was my first time at the Superdome. Superdome. I've been there twice. It's an amazing venue to just take in just because even though it's very outdated, yeah. it's still one of those few venues left in sports. that you're like, wow, this is breathtaking at the history that's in here. It may be the biggest stadium I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this sounds awful, but like, I was like, dang, I can see how they can fit so many people in here for both football and unrelated football reasons and why it's like a meeting point for so many people and so many events nationally, because it is a mass, like you're walking through the bowels of that stadium and you can easily get lost. I did at least four times. Um, but yeah, it was, it was super cool to finally check that one off the bucket list. Very walkable city. New Orleans. I wasn't expecting yeah. it to be quite as walkable because I remember, again, this was 27 degrees in January. We definitely took a lot of Ubers and we also were staying way outside the city when I went as a college student. Um, but I was super impressed with how walkable everything was. I'm glad you well, enjoyed- oh, wait, Do you want to hear before we start? Do you want to hear my uh, my Mount Rushmore and really it's just three people um, of the, the, the famous people that I saw? Okay. Um, so do you know um, Sister Hazel, the band? They're a Florida-based no. band, but they've heard, if you Google them, folks, you, you probably have heard okay. a couple of their songs. Um, they're based in Gainesville. Standing online at Cafe Dumont, literally an hour fresh off the plane. Okay. And uh, this guy is in front of us, and he's Facebook living. He's taking pictures. He's by himself, very bald. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? And then he turns around. He goes, are you guys Jags fans? And I'm like, well, he is. I'm covering the game. He goes, cool. I'm performing at halftime. And we're like, what? And sure enough, at halftime, there he is, the lead singer, Sister Hazel, who was standing in front of us at Cafe hmm. Dumont, Facebook Live okay. and FaceTiming with his wife. So that was number okay. one. Number two, I go to get in the elevator after pregame warmups, and I'm like kind of disheveled. I'm with another member of Jags.com, and uh, this guy who clearly was affiliated with the Saints 
broadcast crew in some variety because he's, you know, he's in his official gear. Just starts talking to us as we're standing in line. And he's like, hey, like, how are you? How, how's your stay been? Have you, is this your first time here? What do you think of the Jags? You know, obviously I root for the Saints, but Deshae Townsend, the safeties coach, is one of my best friends. I love Doug Peterson. So if they're not playing the Saints, I root for the Jags. And I'm like, who the frick is this guy? We get in the elevator. He's hugging and kissing every security guard in sight. And I'm like, what? And then he happened to turn and I saw his credential. Deuce McAllister. Oh, okay. okay. What are cool. the odds? So That's that was fun. number two. Um, awesome guy. Super nice guy. So cool. uh, shout out to Deuce. A great Immaculate Grid answer as well. And then finally went to Manning's and we're walking looking for a seat. And who is standing there with his cane? but none other than Archie Manning himself on oh, Saturday cool. morning that's at 1130. Cool. So uh, I think I hit Nola Bingo, John, and uh, we'll discuss some of my other antics, I'm sure, during the duration. When of I went program. to Willie Mays Scotch House for the first time, which is a place that you got to hit next time. I know. I ran into Mr. T. No that, way. That was an experience. So uh, I would love to tell you all about that sometime, and we'd love for you to tell us all what's on your mind. KYNchat.com. To leave your super chats to get right on air, or if you're watching on YouTube, just drop it right there and we will get your question, comment, or concern read on air. We've got lots to get into this week, but before we do, we got our toast. Now, Mia, I'm going to take the toast this week because in a matter of 48 hours, less than 48 hours, 36 hours, someone's celebrating a birthday. Me! Her 31st. It feels so weird. Like last year, I feel like there was such buildup to 30, and now I'm just Mm -hmm. like... Oh, my birthday's. Uh, you're, you're on the road to 40 now. This Maybe it's because we're, my birthday's sandwiched in between Jaguar road trips. And so it's just been like such a crazy week that I'm like, oh, mm. that's right. Like if it was the bye week next week, I'd probably be like, oh, my birthday. Uh, you're officially on the road to 40. You're over the hill. But that's fine because I'll be joining I'm still in drinking too. White Claw, though. Isn't that what the Gen Zers do? <laughs> I'll be joining in three months. So it's totally fine. Don't worry about that. But happy birthday to you. And a cheers to us because it's a year ago this week we started this program. So I'm <gasps> well, glad. That. let's get a little asmr there it is cheers to all of that a year ago also that Brees hall tore his acl um so a lot of miles cheers into that did you see he, <laughs> no he tweeted it okay yeah like he and like a bunch of like newsbreakers were like dude don't like send everybody into a panic don't cheers to good acls and birthdays and anniversaries mm-hmm I will never learn to not take shots of whiskey on air. <laughs> anyway. And you still do it. At least you could be like me. I just sip a couple drinks and, you know, <sighs> a nice little cone nice setter before uh, my new Burns. thing has been Monday crockpot meals. Mm. Since well, Mia. we do this podcast and Kevin gets home late, the Monday crockpot has been. Ideal. I get it. It's been ideal. For a lot of fans out there, this has been ideal, but for plenty of others, it has not. We are talking T-Swift mania, and boy, howdy, is it running wild. TMZ posted a breaking news report about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift holding hands. There's a dedicated Taylor Swift camera at every NFL game that she attends with tons of cutaways throughout. Yesterday, they even spotted her doing a handshake with Brittany Mahomes who is Patrick Mahomes' sister-in-law. By the way, Patrick Mahomes, well, I should say wife, rather. Yeah, Patrick I was going to say, I'm like, whoa, who are we talking about here? Wife. Sorry, I got distracted. Patrick Mahomes' wife, which means her father-in-law, played Major League Baseball. That's what I was trying to say. So I have to ask, Mia, will the madness 
ever end or is this the universe we live in for good now no because in the time it took for me to send you this topic and ideas for tonight's program we already had more breaking taylor swift kelsey news um we had Nicole hardman's girlfriend who apparently is an instagram model influencer i i don't know her um, but people love her evidently and she posted a photo from the post game of her and Nicole and travis and taylor and taylor is kissing travis on the cheek and the internet almost broke again this was about three hours ago yeah i got off the air from prime time and i was like why is everyone's instagram blowing oh well everyone had to reshare this photo and people are commenting and they're like, Sharia, you broke the internet. What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, and then the news that Travis Kelsey, because the Chiefs are going to be playing in Europe while Taylor Swift resumes her tour in Europe, he's going to go be with her. Like, it's not stopping. <laughs> like, again, so like, I am very much on the optimistic train that maybe this is the one. Like, both of them... He's been crazy in his 20s. She's just had a lot of crazy relationships. Maybe they just needed each other. I even had somebody at work today who, despite working at a sports radio station, she's not a sports fan, but she's very up on pop culture. And she was telling me about how there's this TikTok going around that Taylor Swift's red flag is that it's not just Donna Kelsey. It's that she always meets the mom within like a month and becomes their best friend. And so this is just going down the same road as all the other. I just want to know if this wasn't happening during the season, would it be as much of a spectacle? Well, I told you when this all broke, because you were saying, oh, Travis Kelsey's the kind of guy, you see him walking in a grocery store, you're going to stop him. I said, no, 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 no. Just wait until he starts hanging out with Taylor Swift. And with all due respect, man, I think I was right about that, because now Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey from this point forward for the rest of his life, is going to have a target on his back one way or another. Like, this is his life now. Well, he was in every commercial, and he filmed, I would think, mm-hmm. most of those commercials before yes. he started dating Taylor Swift. But now... Which I, I want to say that because I know you and I have talked about, I have some, speaking of coworkers, some dingbats who uh, they, they think that, you know, this is all Illuminati, and, like, this has been strategically planned. No. He was already taping those commercials in, like, June. Of course. The, the, the bracelet story pickup line didn't happen until July, August. Well, what I do love about this is that, did you see Taylor Swift's friendship bracelet? I know. It That's turns so out wholesome. Travis Kelsey did, in fact, give Taylor Swift his number, a number 87 friendship bracelet that she is now sporting. Her reactions, I'll tell you, I know they've been overkill in how they've been showing them. But her reactions are genuinely hilarious because I don't know if she actually is a football fan. I know there was those stories. Oh, she grew up rooting for this. She grew up rooting for that. But every time this man gets a target towards his way, she like freaks. I mean, it is like, it is excessive. There was a play yesterday that it was just like a standard pass attempt broken up. He got tackled down. Nothing crazy. And they like showed her and she was like this. Like, I'm like, oh man. It's like, I don't know if she's going to be able to make it through if this team goes on a playoff run into the Super Bowl because she's going to be across the continent, across the globe even, and he's not going to have access to her. I know. And so that's going to be what's most fascinating is what happens when she goes back on tour. 
Because they're also, John, is a school of thought, and I sent you this this morning, and this is from Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator and former NFL head coach Dave Campo. There is a school of thought that has noted that when Taylor Swift is in attendance, Travis Kelsey is averaging 99 yards per game. When she is not, he is averaging 42. Mm-hmm. Now, as many people have noted, he was already on a Hall of Fame trajectory before they started dating. But what's fascinating to me is that so often if Yabu is there, maybe you feel the pressure and you don't perform as well. He's the opposite. He is yeah. a performer just like her. A little extra libido for him. There, I think the real question is when she resumes touring and his season's over, he's going to appear on stage with her at some point, right? Yes. Like they're probably going to duet a song. Yes, although the problem is is that they'll probably wait until next May when she resumes the domestic part. Because I, to your point, he can't walk into a Publix or a grocery store in the U.S., but if he goes, like, you know, in Berlin, like, I don't think it would be the same effect. Mm. Going to be interesting. So to answer the question, you're fine with this still? You're good oh, with yeah, it? You're totally. fine with all the cutaways? That's yeah, not bothering totally. You? I mean, I just hope it's for real. Like, that's my biggest thing. Is seems I still, real. Seems, it seems I mean, real. I just hope it's legit. Um, I've heard a lot of reports from, excuse me, friends that are part of the CBS and NBC broadcast crews about, you know, whether or not she actually knows football, if it's for show or not. Like, no one knows for certain. The Mahomes, the Brittany Mahomes handshake was... Well, I want to bring up Brittany yeah. Mahomes for a second. Because there's a lot of people who don't like her, but they love Taylor. Put this put this into perspective here. Brittany Mahomes. Normal person prior to meeting Patrick, right? Well, she was like a seventh grader, but yes, go on. But you know what I mean. She marries... Maybe the most famous football player in the league. Future Hall of Famer. Multiple time MVP. Super Bowl champion. Now, she's becoming besties with Taylor Swift. Imagine being a normie and all of a sudden you're married to one of the most famous athletes in the world and you're becoming BFFs with maybe the most famous person in the world. What a win that is for you, huh? Well, that's the, I think, one thing is there's so many people who can't stand her and Jackson Mahomes, who has mysteriously gone MIA during this time. I think we can all connect the dots as to why. Um, but that that's what's amazing is, like, people are like, oh, my God, she's got RBF, resting B-I-T-C-H face. Um, you know, she she's a, you know, she's just clinging to Patrick's coattails. She didn't ask for Taylor Swift to no. swoop in, but here she is. Like... No, she hasn't. The handshake like thing said, was the only thing that I was like, oh my God. Like, let's not take anything away too. They knew they were on camera. There's no way well, they, did they did Of course they did. But let's not take anything away either. Her father-in-law played Major League Baseball. That's all I have to say on that front. Let's keep rolling here, Mia O'Brien, as we head on over to the Meadowlands. Yeah, you teed me up on one of my favorite topics in the National Football League. I had to tee you up. For this one, as Tyrod Taylor, after an unsuccessful bid against the Buffalo Bills, does indeed lead the Giants to the promised land. A win over the Washington Commanders in a battle of mediocrity, 14-7. to um, If you can believe it, John, the Giants scored their first offensive touchdown in more than 220 minutes of game action. As Tyrod, 18-29, of 279, two TDs. Obviously, he didn't stuff the stat sheet. Per se, it wasn't like he was Patrick Mahomes throwing for over 400 yards. But do we have a quarterback controversy in New York? 
Now we don't have a quarterback what? controversy in New York. We don't have a quarterback. And Tyrod Taylor, by the way, this guy's like one of my favorite players in the league. I've always liked Tyrod Taylor. I thought he got a tough break coming out of Buffalo. He was truly one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the game. He wasn't going to, like you said, not going to light up the stat sheet, but he manages games well. His pace of play is excellent. He doesn't turn the ball over. And when you're a young, inexperienced team like the Giants, that's exactly the type of quarterback that you want, someone who's going to keep the ball in your possession, no matter how bad your offensive line is. With that said, Daniel Jones is the quarterback that they gave the contract to. Tyrod Taylor came out and even said today that Jones is our leader. I'm not here to take his spot. I am here to just do what is asked upon me. And I think he has handled this really, really well. Mia, you can crap all over Daniel Jones if you want to, and there's plenty of reasons to. I just don't think he's a top 10 quarterback. I just think he's like a top 25. not, Not right now, he certainly ain't. But... There is a clear difference in this Giants offense right now, and that is with Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley completely changes the dynamic of the Giants offense through and through. And you can try to make these comparisons between Tyrod Taylor and Daniel Jones this season, but Daniel Jones didn't have a healthy Saquon Barkley, and it totally changes the dynamic of the offense. No quarterback controversy yet. He also didn't have Justin Pugh. Um, maybe that was also the difference maker, was pulling him off the couch, um, which apparently he now has a shirt that says it. Straight off the couch. Which is iconic. Print the shirts, folks. Um, yeah, and, and obviously that's a big part of it too. The, the run game is only so good as the offensive line. Certainly Saquon Barkley has been the type of player to defy, even if the offensive line is questionable. But if that's clicking, then he will click, and that frees up your passing game. Um, but yeah, I just came away from this wondering, and yes, it's only one game, but y- y- now you're going to host the Jets in two weeks because the Giants have a bye this week, right? Or do they, are they playing this week? No, coming up. It's the next game. Oh, yeah. it is the next game. Dang. Yeah. I'm, I'm all turned around. Yeah. The 29th. Yeah. Um, so now you're, now you got to play the Jets. Is Danny Dimes going to play? Because if you beat the Crosstown rival and you put up close to 300 yards again, and then well, it if, does sound and like then, Andrew and then Thomas. What if, and then what if you get beat when? Dan but it does sound there? like Andrew Thomas is going to play, which is a big, 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 big difference maker. He's one of the best tackles in the league. So I, assuming he's healthy, that's a game changer too. Right. Well, I'll I'll just tell you this, and it's a very different situation. However, I was here when if this Nick is Foles, a Jaguars comparison. Well, it is, but it's going to make sense. You'll understand. The Jaguars gave Nick Foles eighty-eight million dollars. He gets hurt on the 11th play of his Jaguar career. Gardner Minshew steps in. Gardner Minshew plays admirably the next 10 weeks. Foles comes in. They gave him three games. Three games, and he stunk up in all three. And by the fourth, the fan base was revolting and booing. And and Doug Marone had no choice because, A, the offensive line stunk, and he needed a mobile quarterback, and Nick Foles was a statue. And, B, because at that point, it's not even like Nick Foles is – moving the ball up and down the field. And so they had to put Garner in in the second half of that Bucks game in 2019. And so I just have concerns, and I think you're right. I think the offensive line coming back maybe will elevate the play of Danny Dimes if Saquon can stay healthy. That also will help him. But what happens if he comes back and they lose two or three in a row? Well, I don't think you can judge based on whether they win or lose. I think you can judge it based on how they play. The Giants are still not a great football team, regardless of whether you have Daniel Jones or not. They don't have a favorable schedule ahead of them. They have maybe, you could potentially say, six winnable games in theory. 
left. Okay. Let's say they do win six games. That gives them eight wins maxing out. Maxing out eight wins. Probably not enough to get you in the playoffs. But that's being optimistic that you're saying, oh, they have six games winnable. So I judge it more in a vacuum of how does Daniel Jones play from this point upon returning. And it's also unfair, Mia, because, and I'm not trying to make excuses here, but the guy had a neck injury for the second time in his career. That's not insignificant. That matters for something. But if he comes out and can't get any of the offense to gel together, because that's one thing that Tyra Taylor has done very well. The offense, there's cohesion in it. Uh, all I can say is, Mia, the Giants are very lucky that they have probably the best backup in all the league as, as their QB2 right now. Well, outside of arguably Gardner Minshew, even though he's 0-2 as the starter yeah. for the Colts, because, again, that was a situation where, you know, rookie quarterback, yes. But again, Tyrod Taylor doesn't turn the ball over me. No, I agree. That is like the most valuable metric that you can have for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. A quarterback as a backup quarterback. A quarterback doesn't have to light up the stat sheet with their how many yards they throw, how many touchdowns, their completions versus incompletions. If you're keeping the ball in your possession and you're managing pace of play, that's everything you can ask for out of a backup quarterback as far as I see it. C.J. Beathard told us last week when we didn't know if Trevor Lawrence would start that the backup quarterback position is the greatest job in the world, not just in the NFL, in the world. Ask Chad Henney. Or better yet, how about you ask uh, P.J. Walker? Yeah. Let's yeah. hit it. Let's let's move to Cleveland where uh, trouble could be a brewing once yeah, again, John. It, it could be. Uh, Cleveland Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski said Monday that Deshaun Watson remains the, quote, leader of the team. Even after the quarterback was removed from yesterday's game against the Colts, Browns did win that game. Watson exited in the first quarter after taking a hit from uh, the Colts defensive end, Deo Adeyengbo. Watson cleared concussion protocol, but Stefanski opted to go with backup quarterback P.J. Walker, XFL legend, for the rest of the game. And for the second straight week, Walker led the Browns on a game-winning drive. As Cleveland came all the way back to defeat the Colts 39-38. to Are you buying that Deshaun Watson is actually the leader of this team, yeah? So even before the concussion, or potential concussion, even before PJ or even, excuse me. So this is before that. Um, And obviously coming off of two games rest because Deshaun Watson did not play the last two weeks. He started this game, John, one of five for five yards with an interception. And the one completion was for one yard. So do with that information what you will, because the reality is he was cleared to play at the end of September and opted not to because he didn't feel healthy. He misses another week on top of that. He comes back and almost, and that, mind you, there was also a bye week in there, and almost immediately gets hurt again. I don't know if it's the yips. I don't know if it's just self-esteem and everything that went on off the field, but there has to be something else going on here. I do think that the team respects him because you. it's not like you, you're like, you know, it's not like they're not talking to him on the sideline as my contact is. Well, like and they're sideline. winning, right? They're winning. Right, and they have an elite defense. Miles Garrett is the best player in the National Football League right now on the defensive side of the ball. I don't care what anybody says. Um, But for me, it's just so jarring that this guy, and this dates back to the preseason last year before he had to serve his suspension, he can't throw a football anymore. Like, that's before the injuries. That was week one, week two, even in a win over Cincinnati. Like, what the heck happened with a year and a half off? I think that's exactly what it was. I think it was a year and a half off. It, it's you're an it's elite like playing golf, I guess. 
you're an elite quarterback in the game. The game gets faster and faster around you each year as you get older. Not that he's old, but as you get older, the game's just going to naturally get faster. And being away for a year and a half, I just don't think Deshaun Watson, quite frankly, was able to adapt and keep up. Now he finds himself in a situation in Cleveland where they're actually starting to string something together and he has to go out there and win football games. He's struggling to do so. And yeah, everything that happened off the field, probably not the best for his mental psyche, I'd imagine. I'm assuming here, but I would imagine it probably wasn't the best, whether it was deserved or not. I honestly, I got no sympathy for anyone in this situation because the Browns coming off all this controversy still made the decision to make a trade for him and sign him to that deal. So you got to reap what you sow. There's a saying these days, it's F around and find out. And that's exactly what is happening with the Cleveland Browns as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, it's a great story for PJ Walker. I I know I gave that little knock there. It's like, ah, the XFL's finest. PJ Walker played for Matt Rule in college. Played really well in the XFL, like really well. And now he gets this opportunity to lead this team, like, as you said, elite defense, one of the best defenses we've seen in a long time. I'm good with it. And if Deshaun Watson is still the leader of this team, I don't foresee that being something long-term. So your point about Saquon Barkley, what's also interesting and what may in turn, I mean, they're financially married to him, but what also could earn Deshaun a pass is this team is playing without Nick Chubb. And the offense that Deshaun Watson was traded to join was going to be predicated on Nick Chubb. What's fascinating is it's never like he had a marquee running back in Houston. So it's not like he needs that. If anything, I don't, Travis Etienne wasn't there at Clemson yet. It's not like he had a marquee historic runner for that was paired alongside him in the backfield at Clemson. And so you could certainly use that as an excuse about why the offense has been low functioning. And while PJ Walker's 15 of 32 is, you know, not astronomically different. That's the other part of it. It's not like PJ Walker's going out there and throwing for 300 yards. Because if he was, then you'd be like, okay, either you're very hurt or something else is at play. Yeah, uh, 100% agree with you. I'm not buying that Deshaun Watts is the leader of this team, but I guess we will have a little more time. I don't think they out. hate him, which is weird because mm. I don't know. It's. I mean, he's going to have that stigma the rest of his career, regardless yep. of how he plays, whether he plays well or poorly. It's just going to be the re- reality of the situation. I want to remind everyone here before we move on to the next topic, kynchat.com. Get your Super Chats in there, or if you're watching on YouTube, just drop a Super Chat. We will read your comment or question on air now mia uh, for this next topic uh, you're gonna tee it up here but i oh want you're gonna have you, me tee it up but yes. oh, oh yeah oh 100 here but i want you to explain it in full to people who may have missed the context of what we're talking about so go ahead. yes um oh i was gonna say even if you want to keep me on camera so i can do the reenactment okay. here okay um, would like so well- yes yeah, so so that is cooper DeGene. He is the all-world punt returner cornerback for the Iowa Hawkeyes. When you're ready um, to reenact, let me know. Yes, I am ready. Um, he's going to be a top 15 pick. It's not like this is homerism. Like, it's just proven. Go to any mock draft. So, Cooper DeGene is returning a punt with Iowa down two with two minutes to play. John, show our audience when you are calling for a fair catch, which means you're going to catch the ball and then the play is dead and that is where your offense is going to start from. Show me what that looks like with your hand gestures. So just to confirm, your hand is over your head. Yes. Okay. 
Cooper DeGene was pointing at the coverage in front of him with one hand, with his uh, right hand, excuse me. So he's pointing at it and he's going, you. And with his left hand, he's making like a whirly bird motion, like move, 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 like this. So not a clear, fair catch call. Correct. He catches the punt and promptly returns it for what would have been the most improbable go-ahead touchdown of the season. And the refs only went to the replay booth because there was questions of, did he step out of bounds? Which the replay revealed, no. The closest he got to the sideline was like a foot and a half. So all the more remarkable. Everybody's pumped. And then the refs suddenly are asking for the Iowa offense to come onto the field. And everyone's like, wait, what? And so the ruling was that this was the same thing as this. And so that is where, even after today, in which the same refereeing crew had to answer 30 minutes of questions from reporters as to, like, how did you come up with that? They basically said, well, if you watch the video, though, you can tell. So, John, with that said, there is a school of thought that Iowa, with their anemic offense that is ranked 133rd out of 133, again, only had 10 points to show for on the day. They flew too close to the sun. This was the football gods looking down on them and saying, look, you cannot rely on this kid week in and week out. And thus, I say to you, independent of Iowa's wacky season, what is the worst officiating call you have seen in your sports fandom? Armando Galarraga's perfect game being yeah. thrown away oh, by Jim Joyce. So Lewis. spot on. This is the only time in my sports fandom, and I'm not a Detroit Tigers fan by any stretch, Yep. is the only time in my sports fandom that I got physically ill from a call made on the field. So Armando Galarraga is throwing a perfect game against Cleveland. There's a ground ball that Miguel Cabrera has to field to his right at first base. Galarraga comes over to first base to make the put out and clearly beats the runner to the bag for what should have been a perfect game. A perfect game in baseball is one of the most rare accomplishments you ever get. 18 have. in the history? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's just beyond rare, right? Everyone's celebrating. Clear to the eye, he beat him. But Jim Joyce, the first base umpire, says safe. Now, in today's Major League Baseball, wouldn't be a big deal. That's a reviewable play. You can watch it back. Clearly would have been called out. Game would have been over. But replay did not exist in 2010 in Major League Baseball. And as a result, Armando Galarraga lost a perfect game. He, to his credit, he was unbelievably blissful about it. And the two of them met after the game, talked about it. Jim Joyce was in tears apologizing to the media. Oh, well, he, because there were cameras. But well, he, he, owned, he said, I messed up. He said, I messed up. I I missed the call. He said, I, I messed up history for this kid. I missed the call. So he owned it. And then they went on to write a book together. That's besides the point. Uh, but that, Again, that was, there were cameras. That, that that to me was the the most blatant one. What about you? Um, so certainly, um, I, I wouldn't put this Cooper DeGene one, you know, but it's certainly up there because there were so many questionable calls across college football and the NFL this weekend in particular. Um, you even go to that Colts-Browns game and the illegal touching that apparently occurred on a DeForest Buckner force fumble that would have won the Colts the game. And then on the very next play, you have a DPI, despite the fact that 
PJ Walker sails the ball into the upper deck. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's just frustrating because it's like, now we live in an age of video replay. Like, and while the next one I'm going to get to has clearly been proven that we don't need video replay for everything. Like, don't make it about you, especially yeah. in the final two minutes of a ball game. I understand you're an official. I understand you have a job to do. And look, you and I have both covered high school sports. We understand that being a referee, there's not it's enough tough. of them. It's, tough. it's a tough job. Like mm-hmm. I totally, totally respect that. Um, but I go back to the Saints and there was the Vikings, right? Um, with Michael Thomas and, you know, was he down or not? And then, you know, do you have review for DPI? And that's what's tough. And that's the philosophical question um, before I give you one more of do we need video replay for everything? Uh, it was it was the Rams, wasn't it? The Rams, yes. Sorry, Rams, the yeah. Rams. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, Saints-Rams. Thank you, Eddie, uh, in the comments section. Um, and the no pass interference call. And so my question for you is, is like, is as excruciating as these moments are where you're like, I can see this, like, what are you thinking? There is some purity in human error being part of the game. There there is. But at the same time, you don't want it to affect the game. Like, I mean, you go to the Super Bowl this past year. I'll go, I'll go back even affect calls are going to affect a game. It should never decide a game. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Call every call affects a game. A standard five-yard holding penalty is going to f- affect the game, but it's when something decides a game and you take the game out of the player's hands and put it in the hands of the official. That's where the problems stem from. Right. And, and then my other one was just going to be uh, Northern Iowa, which already at this point uh, against Texas A and M, the greatest collapse in NCAA tournament history, in which they were up eighteen with a minute thirty to play. Um, West Washpin was cornered and they were trying to get a time off out or get a time off called a timeout called. And, uh, and then they said that it was three second violation. And it was at that point, you and I was playing with fire. Like if you're letting an 18 point lead slip away, but at this point, I think they were only up nine, but now the ball went right to A&M. Like that's a moment where to your point, it affected the game. I don't think it decided the game. But it was still one where, you know, you're just like, oh, boy. Like, once that happened, you just knew the snowball was coming. Let's go over to Major League Baseball here. Tonight should be a fantastic evening of baseball. It's Elimination Monday in the postseason. Game 7 of the ALCS, Game 6 of the NLCS. Jose Altuve's heroics in Game 5 of the ALCS, though, for the Astros. Go-ahead home run at the end of the game. It cemented his place in baseball history, Mia. He's one of the most clutch players in the history of the game in the postseason. But here's what I ask. Did he cement his place as a hero or did he cement it as a villain? Here's the funny part, um, because Kevin and I were watching the game the other night. And I I said something about, you know, back when we had the iconic picture of him and Aaron Judge next to each other. And, oh, look at little Altuve. That was in 2017 when Aaron Judge was in his first full season in the majors. And Jose Altuve was part of a um, scrappy Houston team that, as he came up through the minors and majors, was essentially an afterthought. Can you believe Jose Altuve broke into the league in 2011? Because I made Kevin look it up because I didn't believe it. 
yeah. I was like, there ain't no way. He's like, no, he's 33. Like he broke yeah. it in 20. I was like, I don't believe that. Like mm -hmm. there is no way, but yeah, he did. And so what's so crazy is when you look at his career, the first six years, he's part of this scrappy underdog group and you know, like, oh, he's this little guy, but look what he can do. Like, and he's the leader, the emotional leader. People in Houston love him. And it just so happens that that also coincided with the Astros uh, signal stealing scandal. And also seven, yes, seven or eight straight NLC ALCS now. Seven. Seven straight ALCS. And now he has quickly shifted to the villain. And so it's so funny because I think that that picture of Aaron Judge was such a seminal moment when the shift was happening and we didn't even realize it in the moment. That well, because he would then be leading this group that despite all the scrutiny has made seven straight championship series and he's the face of that team. So the Astros went from super, super likable underdogs to in the blink of an eye, they're the evil empire. Well, now. and and really the remarkable part about it is you look and the players that are still there from that 2017 team, it's pretty much just Altuve and Bregman. Mm -hmm. No, he's the face. It's and But what I'm saying is they've sustained that success while retooling and developing, which is really amazing. Whenever Jose Altuve used to hit home runs, I'd always tweet out five foot six, five feet six inches of fury, because it was this amazing display. A guy like him shouldn't have the power that he has. A guy like him shouldn't have the clutch ability to get on base or come through with a big hit whenever he needs to. For him to be able to do what he does, it is genuinely amazing. But as he should be paraded around as his face of the game. Instead, every stadium he plays in, aside from Minute Maid Park, he gets an FL Tuve chant. Because there are a lot of people who feel that 2019 home run against Araldus Chapman with the allegations of him having the buzzer and him not wanting his shirt to be ripped off, that he was hiding something. I think they were mad at him for 2017, but I really think it was the, the Araldus buzzer. Chapman home I would run agree with, with that. the buzzer that cemented what his was lady. his excuse again a tattoo He's, he said he didn't want to get wet because he had a tattoo that was still setting or something like that i want to see the tattoo has he showed the tattoo since <laughs> i don't i don't know maybe there it, it is okay, 2020 conveniently hit just a few months later yeah so it saddens me that altuve will go down I don't think there's any repairing his image. I think he's going to go down as one of the game's all-time villains, even though he handles himself way better than any of the villains of the game that we've seen. Your boy, Alexander Emmanuel, Albert Bell, Rafael Palmero. Palmero's definitely. I, I see, A-Rod was a villain, but now he's rebuilt his image. I don't see Altuve rebuilding. How does Derek Jeter, seriously, serious question. <laughs> How does Derek Jeter look him in the face every How night? How does Derek Jeter sit there at that table with David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez and stare Alex Rodriguez in the face and take him seriously? Because he's just like your your lovable cousin who like you know is been lovable. Just, well, because well, not lovable, but you know he's like messed up. But you gotta keep. Just, you're like he's trying, like he's still failing, and people can't read him the right way, but still trying. Uh, let me ask you this, speaking of Mr. Ortiz, um, because I'm trying to think of modern baseball villains, which I would put Bryce Harper in that category. As we know, I believe he has oh, a punchable see, face. I love Bryce I Harper. I can't stand him. Um, oh, however, I think Bryce, in, in wrestling terms, we would call Bryce Harper a, heel. a cool heel. A cool he's, heel. He, he's, a heel is a bad guy. but He he's wants a, to be he's, cool, though. That's the problem. Oh, But he backs it up. Yeah. He but backs his crap up. 
The dude is a monster. I'm not gonna, I don't know. Um, seven straight ALCS for the Astros. I think outside of the Giants and their three World Series titles in six years, um, the only other quote unquote dynasty of the 21st century that I would compare this Astros run to is, of course, the Red Sox over the past 20 years. Um, to which I say, who is the biggest villain? from the Red Sox dynasty because I think David Ortiz has proven even before his playing career was over to be lovable. I think Manny Ramirez, people just dismissed as being eccentric. And I think Johnny Damon, who, I mean, you can admit this, like as Yankee fans growing up, we couldn't stand the guy. And then he came to New York and we were like, actually, we kind of like him. He's pretty cool. It's Kurt Schilling. Yeah, I know. I know. There's no... There's no doubt about that. I don't think, but did you hate him? I didn't hate him in 04. I mean, okay, you did. Because I liked him with, even though the Yankees lost to the Diamondbacks in 01, the Diamondbacks were such like a young upstart that I like, I hated Randy Johnson. Then he came to the Yankees and I'm like, okay, well, now I get it. Um, But Schilling, I didn't hate. It's been everything else since that I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's trash. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Uh, We got another baseball one, Mia. Yes, let's hit it. Um, so, yeah, the Astros, we're going to stay in Houston. Reliever Brian Abreu's two-game suspension for hitting Adolis Garcia with a pitch in Game 5 of the ALCS was upheld upon Abreu's appeal, but it will be deferred until the first two games of the 2024 season, Major League Baseball announced earlier today. Is the fix in, John, or do you kind of like this ruling by Major League Baseball? This was interesting because he was suspended for the rest of the ALCS effectively, and then they appeal, and all of a sudden, well, now he can play, and he's an effective reliever for for that team. Man, it really makes you think, doesn't it? Like, how do you get a, a ruling that favorable at this time of the year? It To me, that just blows my mind. Do we have any Major League Baseball postseason suspensions to compare it to? I mean, not one that got overturned in that manner. No, no, but, like, I'm trying to think of, like, obviously, I mean, I'm thinking outside of baseball and, like, Draymond Green. Like, you got a one-game suspension. You're going to serve it during the postseason. Yeah. Um, Because I'm trying to think if we've ever seen this before. Because it's not like – Now that you've set it, now that you've set the precedent, now any future suspensions are getting deferred. Well, it's not like – it's not like they overturned the suspension. They upheld it. They just changed when it's going to be enforced. And yeah. that that just seems bizarre to me. Well, to suddenly change the rules. This has never happened before. Yeah. That's the weird part. Just seems weird to me. I don't know. I, there's a lot of cra- – cra- the, the playoffs change everything. Like, I can't believe it was yesterday as we record this, 22, 23 years ago yesterday, that Roger Clemens threw the bat. And Mike Piazza, the broken bat. And like nothing came of that. And imagine if Roger Clemens had been suspended at that time. Imagine what would have happened. Uh, who's to say? Uh, would have been interesting. But yeah, I'm I'm not into this. Let's get one more topic in before we get to our beast of the week, Mia. Yes. And we're going to talk about the beard here. James oh, Harden boy. remains away from the Philadelphia 76ers as he is disgruntled with management. There's no timetable on when or if he'll return to the team, despite opting into his contract this offseason. We love the association here. It kicks off this week. This league! Will, will this be the greatest distraction of the upcoming season? Which I believe is a question with merit, because as we know, things change by the day in the NBA. 
That's exactly what I was going to say. Give it 24 hours and somebody else will come up with something. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not worried. I'll say, I, I, I was trying to go through my head and scavenge what could become more of a distraction this year. And I don't see anything becoming more of a distraction than this. I think this is going to be the, uh, maybe if not a season long thing, I think it's going to become up until the deadline kind of thing. Uh, I, I think mean, this is going to cause chaos in the Eastern Conference. Well, it's going to cause chaos because on paper, the 76ers should be competing for a title. Um, and th- that's the bigger question, I think. If this was happening to a middling, I don't know, give me like the Pacers, you know, I don't think anybody's talking about it. My question is, how thin is the apathy league wide when it comes oh. to James Harden? Because at this I point mean, in time, this is far from the first, you know, no. drama we've had. How, how could you have any empathy or compassion for the situation? For either side. Yeah. The Sixers knew what they were getting here. Yep. And Harden has burned his bridges throughout the league. Yep. Yep. No. Uh, so I look at the 76ers roster and obviously I see Joel Embiid, who remains a top three, top four player in the game. No question about that. P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, guys, that Patrick Beverly, like veteran Danny Green, veteran guys who have been there before and have won. You have Tyrese Maxey, an ascending player. And so I look at that roster and I'm like, okay, like it can compete even without James Harden, but can it compete? And so that's where, like, let's say they slip from being a one, two or a three seed to like being in the play-in, you know, because without James Harden. Although I think that they would probably still be in the three, four, five category. But let's say they slip to there. Um, are people going to care enough about who is the eighth seed and the seventh seed outside of the fact that it's dramatic because it's Philly and they were a title contender? Like, that's my bigger question because it's obviously a massive market. Um, but I also think that Philly fans are so focused on the Phillies and the Eagles um, that it will be a storyline, but maybe not as big a storyline until something dramatic happens come April with regards to the postseason. I just don't see anything topping it. I don't see anything topping it. I I look across the league at potential disgruntled superstars demanding a trade at the deadline or anything like that. And the biggest one would have been Dame and he got his move. Yep. I don't see anything coming from that. I mean, who knows what Kyrie's going to do every year. It's different. Something like exactly. that. Exactly. Come on. But, but I don't Kevin see. Durant may like get upset with something in Phoenix despite the, yeah. the assembly of all. I mean, stars. I'll tell you, Phoenix falling apart. Yeah. If they, if they fall apart this season that could be an interesting storyline to watch shout out to your boy cole anthony by the way glad he got a three-year deal notice i said the pacers and not the magic when i was trying to come up with a a a lower echelon team i look don't sleep on the magic. i think the magic can be pretty good hey Uh, they did two all rookie performers last season so they they can only go up guard they're they're a good team they're a good team i I, honestly i think the story that you could you could have said, oh, Ben Simmons is going to become a direction. I think Ben Simmons is going to be awesome for the Nets this year. Really? And I do. I think Ben Simmons is going to be awesome. And I think the over-under for the Nets right now is 37 and a half. I think they're going to hit the over easily. I really think they will. It, you know, scoring is going to be their problem this year, but I think their defense and their hustle is going to be off the charts. And it's going to be the exact kind of Nets team that Kevin Durant wanted to play with in the first place. 
So there's a bit well, of irony. He got a super team, though, so all is well. Yeah, there's a bit of irony. Uh, Eddie that. in the comments is concerned about the Lakers, um, to which I say, Eddie, uh, as much as they've retooled and they've added some young talent for me, um, they are still the banana boat crew, AARP. Even if LeBron cries about my roster isn't good enough, he'll just cry until they get the players he wants. So. Which they did last season. They made a run to the Western Conference Finals, so. <laughs> Make it that way you will. It's time for the Beast of the Week, Mia. Who did or what was the most beastly thing? In the My most year? beastly player in all of the sports, John Alba, is Young Ho Kim, the kicker for the Jung Atlanta Falcons. Young, Young Ho? Young Way, you mean? Young Way. I know. I say Young Ho. My bad. Young Way Kim. I know. I love to just say Young it way. that way. Young, Young Way Kim is my Beast of the Week because not only does he kick the game winner Young way over too, Mia. <laughs> the white claws hitting the white claws. Okay. Um, <laughs> young white coo is my beast of the week i'm gonna have to pick another beast now right, it's happy um, hour it's fun yeah exactly um because not only does he hit the game winner against the bucks in tampa um but he now has nine game winning kicks in the last three years um i'm not saying that the falcons are super bowl contenders by any stretch of the imagination there were people calling for Desmond Ritter's job in the middle of that game, but they found a way to win. And uh, if there's a coup, there's a way. Let's give a little love to the beast of the week, the Rucker Scarlet Knights. Bowl eligible. In the Big Ten here, the Shiano turnaround is real. It has happened. I want Bruce Springsteen to donate a ton of money to them to get his name on like the honorary center that they're trying to build. This is great. This is a great story because it shows you when you do invest in a program, things can turn around no matter what league you play in. It just takes proper investment, recruiting investment, finding the right head coach. Yeah, you do financially have to pony up a bit, but but if you do the investment, if you build it, they will come. And now Rutgers, who 15 years ago found itself as the darlings of the national media, and then fell right back into irrelevance for a decade plus, has now rebuilt itself once again and looks like a program that maybe within two years could be a top 25 program in the country. So we will see what happens with them, but I think it's great for college football to see success stories like that. And I was asked this over the weekend. um, Why do people, including my poppy, um, who live in New Jersey, get so angry about Greg Schiano? And the answer is they are... astonished, completely dumbfounded at why do, why does the state of New Jersey have to pay this man $4 million? And the answer is for exposure like this. And I understand that that is difficult in a state that doesn't really understand college football at the same level as some other parts of the country to really comprehend. But the reality is Kirk Ferentz is running nepotism a wild in Iowa. His son and his 19 points per game offense has been allowed to happen for years, and he is making double, double what Greg Schiano is making. And it was an uphill battle for Greg Schiano because he had 10 years of a lack of recruitment that he had had to build in the early 2000s, having to go down to Miami, build that pipeline. That pipeline doesn't exist now with NIL and with how much Ohio State and Alabama have just pillaged the Sunshine State. And so, yeah, absolutely I was a Shiano believer because I grew up in that era. So did you. Um, When they were going to bring him back, I said, no question. I'm here for it. 
Um, and obviously it's come to fruition because yeah, it's six wins and you can laugh about the wins over Wagner and what have you. Um, and if Gavin Wimsett actually can complete a forward pass. Um, but this is good exposure for Rutgers one way or another. This has been out of bounds. Happy birthday to you, Mia. Enjoy Thank your birth you. week. We will be back with you next week right here on Know Your News. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.